Tonight we're talking about having a plan for those tough years, uh, not if they come, but when they come. And I've asked a couple of friends to help me tonight. You're going to hear from a few of my friends. We're going to look in God's Word and give you some insight that Susan and I have kind of had to come up with for our own uh, good uh, soul care as we walk through some tough times as we have with our son. So, so glad you're here. Uh, let me invite the Lord in and we'll get started. Well, Father, I praise your name and I thank you so much, Lord, that we can look in your word and draw a plan, a plan that's good and a plan that's, that has a future and a hope because it's from you. Uh, Lord, thank you for others who've gone before us like Kent and Jamie we'll hear from tonight. Thank you for their willingness to, to share with us in a transparent way. And I pray for each person who's here, and I thank you that you've given each of us children to raise. Uh, you've given us the opportunity to be good stewards of these kids that are from you. So bless each parent here tonight. I pray you would encourage them. I pray they'd walk out, Lord, encouraged and instructed from your word on what to do next. We just pray, Lord, that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm going to turn it over first to my friend uh, Kent Stone King. Kent, if you don't mind to come up, and Kent and I have uh, gone a little bit before you guys in age and in number and an age of kids. So looking forward to what Kent has to share with you all. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and address you. And uh, my name is Kent Stone King, and I just want to start off by saying, I get it. There's hope. I get it, and there's hope. What Tim's telling you is absolutely true. Um, how? Who's got the youngest child in here? I'm assuming you're not the youngest child in here. <laughs> Who's got the youngest? Anybody have a child under age three? All right. Uh, two? Less than a year old? Two in how many months? And six months. Two and six months? He's a year and two months. Year and two months. All right, so you have the youngest. <laughs> Who's got the oldest? I used to know, like, oh, and it gets harder when they get older. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah, it's hard. Um, the way, so I've got two younger brothers. The way my dad remembers our birthdays is that every year, all of us turn either odd number or even number. Beyond that, don't ask him what number it is. <laughs> it's either an odd year or an even year. He knows. Who's got the oldest child here? Teenager, 12, 13? 22. 22, all right. Well, I got 26, but 25. 25, okay, okay. So we kind of run the gamut. Um, it isn't easy, but if it were easy, like just about everything we face in life, we wouldn't trust the Lord, would we? We wouldn't have to. So I, I, the longer I walk with the Lord, the longer I live, the more convinced I am. God puts us in situations that are hard, so we'll trust him. True or false, God doesn't give us anything we can't handle. We hear that all the time. I would argue that. I would say false, because if we could handle it, we wouldn't trust him. He wants us to trust him. And you look at the characters in Scripture. You think Moses could handle crossing the Red Sea with two million Israelites? No, the Egyptians bearing down. He couldn't do that. He needed God. And, and so God came through. And God comes through for his children. He takes care of his kids. We're parents. We take care of our kids. God takes care of his kids. And he loves us. So I just want to start off by saying there's hope. All right? God's word gives us so many great promises and so many great principles. Proverbs 22, 6. I know you've heard this. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Now, they might not get to that point the way you envision, <clears throat> Right? But there is a plan, and where God guides us, he always provides for us, okay? And, and your legacy as a Christian, you're going you're gonna to teach your children, and you should. That's part of your role as a Christian parent. But it's, we'll, we'll unpack this in the next few minutes. It's really, it's more caught than it is taught. So, and you know, if, if you're telling your kid to do one thing, but you're doing something else, what are they going to do? Are they going to do what you say, or are they going to do what you do? 
They're going to do what you do, right? And that's true of our walk with God. If we make our walk with God Sunday only, and then Monday through Saturday, we're using bad language and drinking things the world drinks and listening to what the world listens to and watching what they watch. And I mean, if I'm stepping on some toes, you get it. We all live in this world, right? And it's not getting better. If we're doing those things, if the more worldliness we allow to get on us in our day by day, don't be surprised when they replicate that. That's what they're going to see. They are going to catch what we put out there, no matter what we say. What we say needs to be consistent with what we do. Here's my crew. Um, Amanda, my wife, uh, we've married 29 years and still going strong. Praise the Lord. Bradley's 26. He's our finance guy. He works for Raymond James. Caleb, my tall one back there, he's 22. He... Um, I wish I had time tonight to just share with you some of the things God's been doing in our lives. Um, I stood before Tim's group in October, and I was without a job, and um, my son has got, had gotten out of college in May. He was without a job. My daughter was in nursing school, and she was trying to get out of nursing school and ran into some snags. And God has worked in some miraculous ways. But Caleb is my football recruiter. He worked with the U of M football team and just hired on with the operations department for uh, the Memphis Showboats. So uh, give Caleb some love. Tickets are 10 bucks a game or 60 bucks for a season ticket. Best deal in town. Uh, go see some Showboats games this year. Um, then Hannah is my, my nurse. She's 21. She's a big-time runner. You know, there was, you know there's um, an ultramarathon in Shelby Farms this past Saturday. 50-miler. Little girl picked him up and put him down. And she got burned like a lobster. She didn't do what her mom said and put on sunscreen. So she, <laughs> but she crossed that finish line, and uh, so we're real proud of her. But God is so good, and all three of them still live at home. <laughs> they can't afford to move out, so, you know, there they are. Uh, but we love them, and we have, you know, good times and bad times, but we do stuff together. So that's, that's our crew. Um, as our kids grow up, our relationship is going to change. I didn't adjust the picture size, but not our, our uh, role. Our role as parents, we're always going to be parents, Okay. And my parents are 81, and guess what? I'm about to go meet with them and my youngest brother who's in town. He never comes to town. He's here. He's got some spiritual struggles, so we're going to go have dinner with them. But my parents are still my parents, and I still trust them um, for their wisdom and the things that they have learned in their walk with God because there's, there's a legacy there. There's a, a, just a, a treasure chest of, of wisdom, the, the experiences they've had and the times when God stepped in and taken care of them in their times of need. Even after I moved out, you know, they, they are walking with God and the things they're learning from God's word. My dad is a, uh, he's a, a life group teacher for a senior adult class here at Bellevue. And he's always been my favorite Bible teacher. I love brother Steve. I love Dr. Rogers, but dad's always been my favorite Bible teacher. And, um, you know, he's, he's still my parent. So we need to just just because they grow up and move out doesn't mean you don't still have a role. You have a vital role, vital role. So question, as my kids grow, do they need me to be your, their coach or their cheerleader? Because we kind of hear, well, you can coach them up to a certain point, and then you got to step aside and just be their cheerleader. Which do they need? There you go. Yes. The answer is yes. They need coaching. They're always going to need coaching. I'm 55. I need coaching, you know? There's times I mess up, and my dad still say, hey, look, you know? just listen to the voice of experience and wisdom. Let me share with you some things. And if I'm smart, I'll listen, right? Even if I might not agree at first, I'll, I'll receive that and go. So, so, but also just, just being their cheerleader. There are a lot of men who tonight are in uh, places of incarceration. Uh, a friend of mine, he and I go down and he was actually saved at down 201 Poplar. 
And uh, after he got saved and got out, this was several years ago, um, he was discipled, learned God's word, and the Holy Spirit called him to go back and minister at 201 Poplar. So you're not going in there and we'll preach. And there are guys in there who never heard their dad say, I love you. I'm proud of you. Man, there are, there's power in those words. I love you and I'm proud of you. Tell your boys. Tell your girls. But, but I, I love you and I'm proud of you. Um, it takes discipline to remember that. But those words are powerful. They need that cheerleader. And then set the example that you want them to follow. That's the most powerful form of leadership, leadership by example. You look at the Lord Jesus and how he led. He led by example. He didn't tell his disciples and the people listening to him to be compassionate and loving, and then he was rude and obnoxious. No, he was compassionate and loving and gentle and kind. He touched people that other people wouldn't touch. He loved on people that other people had, had kind of cast off. So we have to set the example that we want our, our kids to follow. So this is really where I'm going with this tonight, and just three quick points. We're going to care for all aspects of our kids' personhood, their bodies, their minds, and their spirits. And as parents, we have an opportunity to really have influence in all three of those areas, modeling, prayer, and engagement. What does that look like? We'll talk about their physical health, first of all. How do we model, pray, and engage with them physically? We're going to model responsible nutrition, right? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Right? We walk with Christ. He lives within us. That means we need to care for them. And something you might not have thought of recently is the fact that these bodies of ours, they're on loan. <laughs> We're gonna, you ever turn in a library book that kind of got dropped in the puddle and beat up a little bit, and the librarian looks at you and goes, what'd you do, right? Someone's going to turn our bodies in one day when we get to heaven. He's going to give us a new one. He's going to look at this old one and go, what'd you do? <laughs> um, I used to be fond of riding motorcycles. I'm still fond of riding motorcycles. I used to ride all over the place. And one fateful day, 12 years ago, had a pickup truck flip in front of me on the interstate, and I went off the road. My bike dropped and crushed my left leg. So I'm a prosthesis wearer um, on my left side. I'm going to turn my body in one day, and God's going to go, man, you beat this thing up. we got to care for our bodies. we got to eat right. we got to stay physically fit. Not everybody's going to run a 50-mile race like my daughter did. That's okay. Do the best you can with what you're able to do with your physical health and model that, okay? Um, who, who plans meals in your house? Usually mom, not always, right? But you're in charge of what your kids eat, okay? And, and so it's okay to tell them, this is what I made for dinner tonight. It's baked chicken and greens. I know you want pizza, but tonight we're serving baked chicken and greens. This is what we're having. I'm going to eat it. I expect you to eat it. If you want to starve tonight, that's up to you. But, you know, we have that power. We're, we're, we're the parents. Simple things like good posture, staying physically fit, you know, taking care of our bodies. We want our children to be physically strong and healthy. Um, and, and make it, let them know, this is, this is a spiritual exercise. Paul writes in Romans that we're to present our bodies as, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, right? And if anything we're going to offer to God, you think about the standards for the sacrifices that the Israelites were given in the Old Testament. God said, bring me a perfect lamb, unblemished, unspotted, without disease, without defect. That's, that's the kind of offering I accept, nothing less. In fact, later in the uh, Minor Prophets, he got onto them because for decades they had been giving him less than their best. We want to give our best, and so we got to care for our bodies. We want to teach our kids to care for that body. That's part of their spiritual heritage. It might not seem like it on the surface, but it all fits. Every part of us belongs to God as his children, right? Every part of us. And so we need to convey that to our children. Our sleep patterns, you know, um, sending our kids to bed at a certain time, and then we stay up all hours watching YouTube or whatever, we're not setting a good example, all right? Um, get good sleep. 
dress. Well, we could spend a lot of time on this, we won't, but being modest and being appropriate, especially for our girls. And um, I'm not afraid to say this, I've said it in deacons meetings, I'll say it here, I'll say it to anybody that asks. It's, it's as hard to, to um, it's as hard to, to maintain a godly thought life on any given Sunday at Bellevue Baptist Church as it is anywhere out in the world from Monday through Saturday because we have ladies and young girls that are dressing inappropriately here at church, all right? If you want your girls to dress appropriately, ladies, you have to set that example and you have to set that expectation. And even the conversation around you know, their, their beauty, let's, let's kind of minimize that. We know they're beautiful, God made them beautiful, but talk about their personhood and maybe how creative they are and how smart they are and how capable they are in so many other ways. So they're, not con they're thinking plenty about their physical appearance. You don't have to say anything about that, but, but playing up some of the other aspects of their personhood goes a long, long ways. John wrote this. This is one of Brother Steve's favorite verses. If you ever get any correspondence from him, he'll write this. I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. So modeling, praying for their physical health, right? And then engaging that by setting a good example and talking about um, being physically fit, having good habits, being modest, that kind of thing. Mental health. Do we have a responsibility there? Absolutely. Um, you've heard the, the saying in the computer world, but it works with our brains too, right? Garbage in and garbage out. Is there a lot of garbage out there nowadays? I mean, you pick up your phone, log on to you know, Google or whatever, we're, turn on the TV, it's full of garbage. We've got to be so very careful. The things we read, what we watch, what we play. Um, you know, and there's a lot of adults playing video games now. All right, but, but be careful. Just be careful, all right, because your kids are always watching and, and modeling those things for them and then encouraging them to read, watch, and play things that are wholesome and that are worthy of a child of God. Um, the thought should always be on our minds. We should teach our kids to have this thought in their mind. What if Jesus were sitting right next to you? Would you be watching that? Would you be playing that? Would you be listening to that? Because the truth is he is, right? He's here with us. One of the beautiful, most beautiful names of God is Jehovah Shammah. He is ever present with us. He's always here. He's here in this room, all right? So if we're watching or playing or doing something that we shouldn't do, he's right there with us, okay? The uh, just awareness of the world around them. Even young kids, you know, I was heartbroken. Monday, that shooting in Nashville. These young kids, I just, that stuff happens way too much. And we can't act like it didn't happen. But what we can do is in the context of our home, talk about that and say, what do you think led up to that? Who, who do you think was ultimately responsible for that? You know, the lady was the shooter, but she was influenced by Satan. Satan's the one who hates what God, what God loves and God loves us because we're made in his image. That's what motivated that. How do we protect ourselves? Think about practical things that you can discuss in that setting. Um, things like, welcome brother, things like, um, What's happening in the news? Um, you know, obviously with, with younger children, kind of filtering that a little bit and making sure that it's, you know, age appropriate, but engaging them in those things and helping them to understand that to have a relevant witness to their contemporaries, they need to be aware of what's happening in their world. Being accountable and just having those conversations. Um, my wife with our boys and, and with me, she'll just at the moments that we least expect it, she'll look at me and say, hey, how's your thought life? <laughs> you know, ask your kids that question. Um, you know, what are you thinking about? 
what, it, what were you doing last night when, um, after I went to bed, you know? And let them know, say, you can, you can give me an answer that isn't true, but just know that God is listening. Now, what did you do last night after I went to bed? Uh, you know, that kind of, just those accountability discussions and teach them that accountability is a part of walking with God. That's something that, you know, under your roof and your home, they should be accountable. But as they grow and get out like my kids are, I've strongly encouraged them to cultivate accountability relationships with their peers that know the, that know the Lord, to make those close friendships and then to be accountable to one another. Um, listening to your kids, so important, so important. Kids will act out and do all kinds of things, and a lot of times it's just because, and nobody's listening. What do I have to do to get some attention around here? And they'll go to extremes. But if you really listen, you'll understand what they're thinking. And that's really what you want to be, be monitoring. Colossians 3, verse 2. This is a great verse to pray for your kids. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Father, please just help my kids, Bradley, Caleb, and Hannah Grace, to set their minds on things above today and not on earthly things. Number three, spiritual health. Model and help your kids cultivate. Welcome. Um, model and help your kids cultivate a prayer life. They don't have to be very old to do that. And it's not just about praying over meals, it's praying over ordinary stuff. Um, I remember growing up, my mom used to always say, hey, have you prayed about this? Have you prayed about that? And one day we were going someplace, and I was maybe, I don't know, eight, nine years old. She couldn't find her car keys. She was getting flustered. Where are my keys? Where are my keys? I'm going to be late. Where are my keys? And I said, hey, mom, have you prayed about it? <laughs> and, and she stopped. She kind of looked at me. She goes, no. And we prayed, and you know, within 30 seconds after praying, we found her keys. Just one little example, but just the power in those things. Um, having them pray about just ordinary stuff. Is God interested in our ordinary stuff? He's pretty busy. He's running the whole universe. He cares so much. You think about the price he paid for our eternal souls. He cares about every detail that touches our lives. And he's capable of handling it if, if we'll let him, if we'll pray about it. Bible study, scripture memory, young kids. Oh my goodness, their brains are like little sponges. They can memorize so much scripture. But the way to get them to do it is to make that a part of your conversation throughout your home. Have scriptures posted in your home, on the walls, here and there, whatever. Um, Deuteronomy talks about, you know, having the, the, the scriptures prominently displayed and where you rise up and when you lie down and make it a part of your daily conversation. So important. Fellowship. Help them cultivate friendships with other Christian kids. And a great way to do that is cultivate friendships with other Christian families and spend time together. Spend time together. Um, you know, post-COVID, we're all just clamoring to get out, you know, and be with other people. Well, we're, we're past that now. Let's, let's start making the effort, and it's an effort. We're all busy. Get with other people that know and love the Lord, and let your kids see that other families can have that same kind of dialogue. It's not just you. You guys aren't just, you know, the weirdos that do all this Jesus stuff. No, other people trust the Lord, and they love the Lord, and that's a part of their daily life as well. And so they understand that's part of their culture within the body of Christ. And then Christian service teaching them to serve from a young age. God has given each believer in Christ, even young ones, spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit moves in at the moment of salvation. He doesn't move in empty-handed. He always brings a spiritual gift. So help your kids learn what's your gift, and then once they figure it out, how, let's, let's help them deploy that. Let's help them cultivate that. Great verse in regard to that, 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Just a few practical things, and I'll be done here in just a moment. Number one, take the lead. Um, you know, dads, I'll, I'll speak to you for just a moment. You are husband and father, and that is a calling. That didn't happen by accident. That is a godly calling upon your life, husband 
and Father. And I don't care what job you do, how much money you make, what position you might hold in this church or on some committee out, out you know, in the community or whatever, that's your highest calling. So you gotta make it your highest priority. And it's hard. Man, the enemy fights me every day on that. So many other things on my to-do list. Husband and father first, okay? And as husband and father, you take control of your home. So at a certain time of night, maybe eight o'clock, maybe nine o'clock, depending on the age of your kids, maybe dinner time, spend some intentional time. It might just be five or 10 minutes. Spend some intentional time talking about something God taught you from his word. If they're old enough, ask them, hey, what did God teach you from his word today? And if they go, uh, I didn't read today, dad. Say, all right, expect the same question tomorrow. I wanna hear something good. Here's what God taught me. And, and just feel and say, you don't have to preach a three-point sermon. Just say, I saw this verse, and this is it really applied to my life today. Boom. And then spend time in prayer. And um, <clears throat> let your kids pray. Let your wife pray. Share that. But, but make that a part of your daily routine. There'll be exceptions, but make the exceptions few and far between. Regular family prayer time. Sharing with each other what you learn from God's Word. And then intentional Discipleship. Discipleship doesn't happen by accident. Nothing worthy ever happens by accident. There's always intentionality, planning, prayer, and, and then doing it, picking up and doing it. There are a lot of great tools. I'll share with you um, a book that I'm going through with my boys right now. Uh, and again, they're 26 and 22. This isn't for young kids. There are some great resources for young kids, but I'll just put this out there. R. Kent Hughes, The Disciplines of a Godly Man. There are 19 of them. And um, it'll step on your toes, guys. It's a, it's a spiritual workout, but it's great. And they've got discussion questions at the end of each chapter and ways to really just unpack what's going on. You know, where are you now? What does God's word say about where you need to be? And how do we get there? And how can we pray for one another and encourage one another? Accountability. We talk, touched on that a moment ago, but things like TV time. What are they watching? What times are they watching? Um, you know, cell phones. They can get anything in the palm of their hand nowadays, making sure the guards are up, but talking about them too, talk, talking with them. Because someday, no matter what guards you have on their devices, cell phones, computers, whatever, one day they're gonna grow up and not have those, right? And that should happen. By the time they grow up, you want them to already have cultivated the integrity, the godly integrity informed by scripture to make good choices, all right? But it starts now, it starts now. Eventually, they'll have a car. Maybe that scares some of you. It scared me at first. We've had our share of repairs. But, you know, they, they need to be accountable for how they handle things. And um, trust breeds, tr breeds trust. Responsibility breeds more responsibility. Uh, transitioning to independence. This may be um, out in front for some of you and, and the 25-year-olds, you know. You, you already feel this. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, responsibility is, is earned. It's not a right. You don't have a right to drive my car, you know? You don't have a right to, you know, use my credit card. That's a privilege. Um, it's, and, and I've talked to some parents in some tough situations, and, you know, they've had to tell their kids, you don't have a right to live in my house. It's a privilege to live here. If you're going to live here, these are the things that we expect at a bare minimum. And then the kid gets to choose. Do I do it or do I not? And, and that applies to anything. There's, there's a punishment if you do this. Now, it's your choice. Do you do it or do you not? And if they do it, say, I'm not the meanie. I'm not the meanie punishing. You made the choice. You understood what was at stake, and you made the choice. And so this is just the natural outcome of your choice. Notice there's no emotion there. I don't have to get mad. I don't have to scream. I have to say, look, you understood the choice, and you made the wrong choice intentionally. And so 
here's the consequence. This way it's got to be. That's how God treats us. That's how, how as uh, your parent that God's appointed, I, I have to treat you. But transitioning to independence with phones and auto expenses and, and, and rent, starting to take on, even though they're still living under your roof, it's okay for them to pay for stuff. They have a part-time job. They're flipping some burgers, delivering some pizzas, whatever it might be, cleaning houses, taking care of dogs. So they start earning a little bit of money. Say, all right, we're going to gradually step you into the weight of the financial responsibility of being an adult. And it's okay to start that in the mid-teenage years or whatever, you know? Because the earlier you start it, the better prepared they are when they turn 18 and when they turn 21 and when they move out. I will close with this. Um, Dr. Adrian Rogers, this was one of his favorite passages and as a parent has become one of mine. Praise the Lord, Psalm 112. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. That applies to all of us. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. It's a promise of God. So let the Holy Spirit and, and the Word of God inform your parenting and just trust Him. There'll be hard days, there'll be challenging days, but God's Word is always true. And, and even when they challenge you, say, look, we raised you to stand firmly on God's Word. If you decide to move off that base, that's your choice. I'm not moving. And, and I invite you to come back. I implore you to come back because this is where there's safety and security and this is where you will enjoy and become all that God intended for you. That's it. Any questions? Thank you so much. Thank you all. God bless you guys. Hey, if you would, just at your tables, just take a couple minutes if you don't mind and just talk through, hey, what's one thing? Uh, he gave a lot of practical advice tonight that we can use right now, uh, preparing for what's to come. Just what's one thing you heard from him, the kid that was helpful to you? Um, just a couple minutes and we'll start back up. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll pull it back together. Looks uh, like you had some good insights from uh, Kent. So thank you. I put Kent's email on the sheet, and uh, he is welcome. If you have questions, you can email him directly. Hey, tell me more about this, or pray for me in this area, whatever you'd like. Um, but another friends with me. I brought Jamie and Andrea Stemple tonight with me, and um, Jamie and I have some things in common as well about our own children. So I've asked Jamie and. Andrew to share with us more about what they've learned in their parenting and help us prepare for tough years as well. Yeah, so um, like, like you said, my name's Jamie, and this is my wife, Andrea, uh, with the Stemples. Um, we've been married for 26 years, um, actually 26 years this year, yeah. Uh, we have four beautiful daughters and a son-in-law, as you can see up here. Um, our oldest is 24, and she's married. And then we have a 21-year-old who's just about to graduate college in May, uh, a 17-year-old tomorrow, and then a 13-year-old. So um, if you need any advice on how to raise boys, we are not your resource. <laughs> we, we do not know how to raise boys. So um, we, um, we got married young, started having kids young. Um, I was saved um, a few years into our, into our marriage. I was 24 years old, um, and we immediately got into the church. Um, and um, just felt the Lord um, working in our marriage, working in our lives. And we knew it was important to raise our kids in the church. Um, so we, we did that um, from, from very early on um, when the kids were young. Um, and I can remember um, seeing uh, a family in the church that was, that was older, had older kids, had teenagers, 
um, and they were struggling with rebellion. They were struggling with um, problems in their house. Um, and we knew, the, knew this family. And uh, my first thought was, um, what, uh, what's going on in their house? What are they doing wrong? What's going on in their house that their kids are acting out like that? And our, our kids were like two. So yeah, we our had kids it were, all figured out. Yeah, so. it was like, what, what are they doing wrong? Right. Um, fast forward, um, we have preteens. Um, and we noticed that one of our daughters is... Um, starting to test boundaries, starting to push the limits, um, starting to um, go off the path a little bit. Um, and so um, we struggled with her all through teenage years. Um, and then it all kind of came to a head. Her senior year of high school, she got involved with a, a guy that um, we advised her not to, that we did not approve of, um, and... Um, she decided to um, move out, that she no longer wanted our rules and move in with this guy. Um, so four years later, here we are, and I wish I could tell you, I could give you this redemptive story of our daughter has come back to us and come back to the Lord, um, but we're still walking through it. We're still walking through that today. And the reason why um, we, we, we share that with you tonight is because um, we've learned some lessons along the way. We've learned some stuff about ourselves um, and stuff about, about um, us as parents. Um, and so we just wanted to share some of that with you guys tonight. So kind of um, from a mom's perspective, I want to share because we do have all girls. And so, you know, as a mom of girls, I felt responsible for them as a mom. Like I, I need my girls to turn out well, right? And so um, with one of our daughters, we're still kind of walking that path, as he said. Um, it, it's not well at this point in time, but I have learned some things. First of all, um, the mom guilt is real. Um, when your kids make a mistake, which we all do, but when they make a mistake, it is very, very difficult not to let it reflect how you feel about your parenting and how you feel about yourself as a mom. So I'm here to tell you that four years later, I have finally, God has finally shown me that my child's decisions do not reflect my mother, my parenting skills, how I am as a mother. Um, so all of you moms, I would encourage you to not take your child's decisions to heart. Your child's decisions are not a reflection of you. We have done everything for our daughter that we could do. We led her down the right path and she chose to walk off of it. Not my problem. Um, and as I've told her, I, I have no guilt at this point in life answering to the Lord for how I raised her. So she's gonna have to answer for that. So um, the first lesson that I would say to take away from this, if you have a child who's kind of veering off the path is do not take it personally because it's not a personal attack. Um, the second thing I would say is as a mom, make sure that you are walking closely with the Lord. <laughs> make sure you are having your quiet time. Make sure you are praying. Um, make sure you are in church. If you have other children, make sure you're bringing them to church. You need to show that child that is struggling 
that your values are your values no matter what they do. And your quiet time, your Bible studies, your D group, discipleship groups, those are going to be really important supports for you. Because there were days where I literally, like, all I could do was just hold on because I never knew what was coming next. So make sure that you have your own walk. Um, and then the last thing that I've learned, and this has been really important for us lately because we've kind of, we're in the midst of having to make some hard decisions. Make sure you have a group of people around you who can pray for you because there is nothing more than you need. Um, it was actually really cool. Our 17-year-old, she's a senior in high school, and so the high school seniors can now come to the college ministry because they're at the end of the year. And she went to the college ministry uh, on Monday night, and she came home, and she said that one of the quotes that they gave them was that, um, I don't want to get this wrong, Christian community is not the same as godly community. And that I was like, bam, like that's what I've been saying. Like you can have people that you go to church with that are godly people, but you need, or I'm sorry, that are Christian people, but you need those godly people that you can go to when times get hard that will be there to pray for you. Pray for your child. Ask how you're doing. So that, to me, I was like, yes. Yes, so make sure you have that godly community around you. Yeah, as a, as a husband and a father of daughters, um, I wanted to fix things, right? That's my, nat I mean, guys, we, we, we like to fix things. Um, and as hard as I tried, it's something that I couldn't fix on my own. Um, and it's something that I just have to surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, this is this is in your hands. This is this is in your timing. This is in your will, um, and we do. We pray every day for her. Um, we've been praying for her. We have a community, like she said, a community of people that are praying for her. Um, and so, um, yeah, those are those are those are the tough things that we've that we've learned about parenting in those tough tough years. Um, does anybody have any questions? I've always had a pretty strong uh, quiet time and discipleship time and things like that, but I think just the um, just the amount of guilt that I was putting on myself um, because of her decisions, because I felt like, you know, also, I guess as an aside to this, I'm a homeschool mom. Um, they've, been, they've been homeschooled. This is our 13th year to homeschool, and so I think I took a lot of that internally, too, because it was like, you know, I had her at home all the time. Where did, you know, where did I go wrong? And so, yeah, I think just the, the combination of having people to speak truth to me, being in the Word every day, all of that kind of worked in combination to release some of that guilt. Now, let's also say know who your children's friends are. Yes. Um, that is a big deal. Um, yes, that's kind of what started our whole roller coaster. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're not always going to be able to control who their friends are, but 
know who their friends are, yeah. know who they are, know who they're spending time with. Yeah. yeah. This is a question. When did you start seeing the signs? Like at what age? Um, yeah, really in middle school. Um, like 11, 12. 11, 12 age. Um, we started kind of noticing the, the kids that she was choosing to hang out with, even kids at church. Um, if there were three kids that were doing the right thing and one child doing the wrong thing, she was always with the one doing the wrong thing, mm -hmm. always. Um, yeah. And so we kind of started noticing that. Um, we were, in hindsight, we were not as proactive with that as we should have been. We gave her a lot of leeway. We allowed her to go with friends um, for extended periods of time that we probably would not have would not have done had we had the foreknowledge of what was to come. So yeah, I would say middle school is a really um, formative, those are really formative years. Mm -hmm. So I would really, you know, in elementary, you have a lot of control over your kids and where they go and what they do. Starting about middle school, you know, even at church, they're doing the church camps and they're doing the school camps and they're doing the all-day sporting events. And so you don't have as much control. Um, the other thing I think along with that is middle school is kind of where we noticed that she stopped having discussions with us. Hmm. You would ask her something and you would get the one-word answer or the, you know, what did you do today? Nothing. Who did you hang out with? No one. Um... I would say, again, in hindsight, probe that some more. Don't let those one-word answers become routine. Because yeah. I think that was one of our mistakes as well, is we kind of, we were like, okay, she did nothing and she wasn't with anyone today. Yeah. So. And I'll, I'll say one other thing, too. We, we, you know, we tried our best to um, rein in, um, put parameters, um, take things away, and um, I'd say one thing is don't don't just become the police, right? Don't just become the the bad guy because I think um, we we tended to drift in that direction. We 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 noticed that we were drifting that direction, and we tried to correct ourselves. But we noticed that we were becoming um, the police, right? We were becoming the, becoming the bad guy, and then then the friends that she was choosing to uh, associate herself with were the friends that were like. Your parents are crazy. Your parents are controlling you. Your parents are doing all of these things. And so th there was more of that um, going on. Yeah, and I think that's where that, um, especially starting in middle school, that relationship, um, I think had we worked on that a little more, and I'm not saying this wouldn't have happened, but I would, I would recommend everyone in middle school kind of, if you haven't already started kind of making those bonds at dinner or, you know, whatever, have those conversations. Uh, did her siblings give y'all kind of any warnings that they felt she was changing or uh, hey, these friendships are bad? Yeah, so so we kind of have two families. So we have a 24-year-old and a 21-year-old, and then our next ones are, we call them our do-overs because <laughs> they're, they're good kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they're so far apart. So, so really, her 24-year-old sister—they were really close. Um, they're about—they're a little over two years apart, and um, she would say things every once in a while 
she's a great kid. She never strayed or anything, but she was also a secret keeper. Um, and so we didn't get a lot of information from her because she was always the kind of kid that knew all the secrets, but she was not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we didn't get too much from her siblings because of that. Mm-hmm. But we don't, we don't want to sound all glum and everything because there is hope and we, yes. we are praying for that hope every day. Yes. And I would say too, you know, we, we do have three children who are walking the walk. Our um, 24-year-old, our son-in-law, actually, he's on staff at a church. And so our 24-year-old is, they're, he, they're awesome. Um, and then our 17-year-old, believe it or not, she's probably the spiritual leader of our house as far as the <laughs> siblings. Like she is an incredible kid. She's the best of us. She is, she is absolutely the best of us. So, um, and I say all the time, I think God gave her to us to kind of like redeem some of our family story. I mean, seriously, um, because she's an amazing kid. And so we do, I think we, we kind of play off of her a lot when our daughter is at home. Um, you know, we'll kind of purposefully start spiritual discussions with our 17 year old so that our other one can hear and, so um, I would say, you know, you use your kids that are walking with the Lord and, and to help that sibling. Because I know our 17-year-old, she sends her verses all the time. Like she'll text her verses just out of the blue. Hey, I thought this might help you today. So, so use those kids that are walking with the Lord because age is, I mean, age is nothing when it comes to their walk. They, they can be strong at any age. Okay, we're going to pull back together. Uh, thank you for kicking ideas around and kind of talking through what you, uh, what you heard and, and working through it. I want to show you an image on the screen. I want to get your thoughts about this image. So I'm going to show you an image on the screen and see what you think about it. All right, y'all ready? All right, here we go. I'm going to show you a quick image. Are you ready? All right, here we go. So here's the image. Um, it says this. It says, stay straight to align with your kids' values. All right, now, why would you want your kids to stay in those two lanes? Why would you want that? Because they're valuable to us. They're valuable to us, that's right. All right, why else would you want that? That's exactly right. Why would you want them to take those two lanes, Chi? You want the best for your kids. That's right. And so you're living out right now. You've said, hey, we're we're walking the the, the best way we know how to walk off God's word and our experience. And we want our kids to follow that, learn from what we've learned from, walk this same way, right? The problem is the road of life has different lanes in it, right? And so there's other lanes and there's often this lane, take exit to try going your own way, okay? Is that a lane our kids could be exposed to? It's out there, right? Is it possible that you could raise your kids in a godly home, show them beliefs and values that are the right way to go, and is it possible that they could take that exit? It's possible. We want you to know that tonight, that that's possible. So how is that, how in the world is that possible? 18 years of living in the greenhouse that you created for them to grow in, how in the world could that happen? Free will, sin, Friends, okay. Choices. What is it? Choices. Choices, all these things. Question, 
Um, which one of these is correct in the multiple choice? A, we can love them, or B, we can train them in the right way. B, we can see we can teach them about God. D, they will still make their own choices. Or E, all of the above. All of the above, okay? We can do A, B, and C all right. The reality is there is still a D here. They will make their own choices. And I can tell you, I know the Stemples. I've been in their home. I've been around them for five years, watched them in so many different areas. And they did A, B, and C exactly right. And their daughter in middle school said, I'm going to take that exit ramp. Um, but not the only ones. That's part of our story in our family with our two oldest sons who decided growing up in our greenhouse, our home, that that exit ramp looked really attractive. And I'll share more about it in just a moment. Um, when they took that ramp, it was extremely hard on my wife and I. We went through a lot of turmoil. Talking about mom guilt, there was a lot of dad guilt in that as well. I'm going to get to what we had to get to, similar to how the Stemples did a moment ago. Um, but we learned that we're not the only ones. And this book was pivotal for me. It's called Essential Church. And uh, this book, what they did was they studied. It's a Lifeway book. I really value them and their research. And they studied the 18 to 22-year-olds that went to high school in a Protestant, during high school, went to a Protestant church throughout their high school years. So these were kids who were in high school, were in church during their high school years. And here's what they found. They found that even though they were in high school and church during their high school years, 70% of them dropped out of church during these college years. Why would that happen? How in the world could that happen? And here's what they found. The top 10 answers on the board, right? So it was, number one, they wanted to break from church. Uh, they felt like church was full of hypocritical and judgmental people. They, number three, moved away to college, so they stopped going. Number four, worked on Sundays. Number five, moved too far from church. Six, too busy to go to church. Seven, felt, didn't feel connected to the church. Disagreed on issues. Number nine, wanted more time with their friends. Number 10, was only going to please others. So we sit down with our older two boys and said, hey, we know that you're not, that you've pulled away from church. We just want to understand better why. Not in a judgmental way. We just like to know why. And so I put this list in front of them, my wife and I did. Is, hey, here's some common reasons. You tell us, is there, is there one or two on this list? And they said, yeah, there are. And these are the two that they picked. They said, we just want a break from church. We grew up in church. We just wanted a break. That was heart-wrenching for me because I thought growing them up in the church would help them fall in love with the church. Um, they said they wanted a break. And then they said, we wanted more time with our friends. Um, we've dug more into that more deeply and learned more about that. And that's not to say that, man, growing up here, your kids in church is going to make them drive them away from church. It just happened to be with our boys. That's not always the case. And you say, well, it drove them from church, but maybe not the faith. And there's a silver lining I'll share with in just a few moments. But I was concerned about an analogy better Steve shares on a, on, on a, ba on a quite often basis. It's simply this. When, when there's wood in the fire, that wood's going to stay red hot. And it's going to create energy and burn and create heat. But what happens when that one log falls away from the fire? And you all have heard him talk about this. What happens to the log when it falls away from the fire? Yeah, it grows cold, right? It grows cold. It's no longer hot. It's not producing any heat. It's away from the fire. And so my concern was my older son's walking away from the church, that they'd walk away from community and from accountability and from the constant teaching of God's Word and that they would draw cold to the things of God. Someone that helped me tremendously was this gentleman named Mark Gregston. Just through his, I don't know him, but through his writings and through his podcast, 
uh, and uh, he has a ministry called Heart Life Ministry in Texas. Um, and he simply says this, that parents of tweens, okay, that fourth, fifth grade, middle school, and teens need to hope for the best, okay, because we have hope in the Lord, uh, be proactive in training them like you're doing right now in their early years, but then prepare for the worst, for what could happen. Because you've seen it happen with the Stimples. It's happened in our family. It's happened in, in Kent's family. He didn't share as much as he could have, but it's happened with, in his family as well. Um, and what Mark says is that our kids are growing up in a culture that overexposes them to things that most, makes them want to take that exit ramp away from our values. Um, I did not grow up with screens. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, graduated 89 from high school, so I didn't grow up with that. Um, wasn't exposed to as much as they are today. They're overexposed today, so the, the culture pulls them harder than obviously it pulled me. So what I want to do is just kind of look into Scripture to realize, hey, are we, are, are we the first generation, okay, to deal with this? And I want you to open your Bibles if you want to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. And while you're opening this, I want to just remind you of the challenges of parenting, that they're not new. So let me ask you, who did Adam and Eve disobey? God. So God the Father, in a sense, had His two children there, Adam and Eve, and even his children disobedient. Uh, who did the disciple Judas dishonor and rebel against? Jesus. Jesus spent three years with him. Okay, and he rebelled against the Lord. How did Cain disrupt his family, being the very first family on the planet, how did he disrupt his family? He murdered his brother, right? Um, how did the children of Israel... Um, live out their faith and how did, they, how did they respond when God delivered them in so many ways? Let's look at it. So, so there's three books of the Bible that kind of lay out God's progression of the children of Israel from captivity to the promised land. Three amazing books lay out some amazing stories. The first one's the book of Exodus where God's people are let out of captivity of, in Egypt up to the promised land via Moses. That sounds amazing. You think just that alone, the children of Israel would want to obey their father in every way. Then the book of Judges comes along, and this is where God's people are led into Canaan by Joshua. He provided, and God provided victory over all their enemies. You say, man, that alone is so wonderful. You'd think that Israelites would forever obey the Lord. But then the book of Judges comes in. This is where God's people settle in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And they get to enjoy all the promised land offers. And that sounds amazing. You think, gosh, if you go through all those things, surely you would obey the Lord. Judges chapter 2, let's read together as a group, starting in verse 11. You read with me off the screen. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asherah. So unbelievable. After Joshua died, a new generation arose. And we see here for the first time, these are children who wander from the values of the Lord and their love for the Lord. They chose to love the, the made gods, okay, idols, over the God that loved them so much. 
So my question to you, how do you think the Israelite parents would have felt? Now, these, these parents have died off, right? This new generation rose up. How do you think those parents would have felt about their son's actions? Anger? Disappointment? Yeah. Shame. That's right. Guilt? It's about mom guilt, dad guilt, right? All those things. How do you think God would have felt about their actions? What's that? Okay, he might want to forgive them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he's a God of mercy, isn't he? He sure is a God of mercy. He was angry. That's right. He had warned them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there was, there was times his anger raged, and he said, you know, we're going to cut you off. And he did, he did it during Moses' reign, didn't he, when they had the, boat, the golden calf. Um, let's just read. Let's read and see how he responded, because in verse 16 it says, Then the Lord, now we're about to read, what does the Lord do? Well, thankfully the Bible tells us what he did, and I'm kind of, you know, on pins and needles kind of waiting. What's going to happen here? How does the Lord respond when this happens? Let's read it together. Can you read off the screen with me? Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. When the Lord raised up the judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. Wow. So, Question, what action does God take in verse 16? Verse 16, what does God do? He raised up judges. That's exactly right. And he was with those judges. What action does he take in verse 18? Delivered them. He delivered them. That's exactly what he did. And in verse 18, he talks about the motivation of why God did it. What was he motivated by? By the pity because of their groanings. Wow. So even though they disobeyed him and bowed down to idols, he still heard their groanings. He still heard their crying out to him and he sent a deliverer in the judge. He did this over and over and over. So what's some good news for us as concerned parents in these verses? What's just some good news? Yes, that's right. Exactly. Say it one more time. Say it a little louder so folks everybody can hear. God is still able to raise help for him. God is still able to raise help. And it's good news. Why is that good news for us? We need help. That's right. He's still able to raise help. He's still able to send someone to deliver our sons and daughters, okay? He is still willing to help. What's something else you see? What's the good news in here? Pity. He is still a God of pity. He is still willing to listen to our groanings, listen to our children's groanings. He is willing to hear that. He's a compassionate God who hears the cries of his people, and he takes initiative. He took the initiative here, and we have the same God who will take the initiative for our children. That same God cares about my boys, cares about Andrea and Jamie's daughter, knows where they are. It's the same Lord, the same God. So what do we do? We've got a blank page. What do we do? Um, well, keep doing what you're doing. You're amazing parents. You've hung in here with me this entire series. So keep being intentional like you are. Keep praying for your kids, which they just got through saying. 
And, and what we've learned, one of the things we've learned is just to define the win. And we've got one clear win in our home right now. I've got one goal. Matter of fact, I've kind of been reduced down to one life goal now. Um, if I could have one thing, if I just get one thing, Lauren, what's the one thing I would get? It would be this, that all five of my sons would love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's that deathbed wish. I, if when I'm on my deathbed, Lord, if I'm, if I'm in a situation the Lord grants me, I've got my whole family around me, if I can look at all five of my sons and say all five of them, I'm about to go to heaven knowing they all five walk with the Lord, that's it. That's my goal. Yes, sir, Chief. Mm. And church activities mm -hmm. rather than raising godly children. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I've just, it's been in my mind since this whole session, and I've been thinking about that. Here's where I am on that, because I've thought a lot about it. So go ahead and ask it. If I could do a do over, you mentioned the word do, if I could do one thing different when they were younger, I would make a bigger deal of a personal relationship with Jesus than I would church activity. I would make a bigger deal of their personal walk with Jesus. Um, uh, talk with them more about a walk with him. Have them read their own Bible at an earlier age. Okay, uh, what do you think is a good age to start doing that? When they can read, whenever they can read. And even if they're reading a Jesus storybook Bible, Audra, okay. whatever Bible they have, that they're reading it. You know, there's the idea that... Uh -huh. And we have a one year for kids that we read together, but I've been wondering if maybe I should just hand him a children's Bible. And the one we have is very good. It gives the reference, and it's a paraphrase, but it sticks to the detail. You know, sometimes yes. we get a little loose. And I've been wondering if maybe I should just kind of give him a break from feeling like he should read the exact scripture. Mm -hmm. Or is it better to start with small chunks of scripture? I feel like we're there, but I don't know how to navigate it without overwhelming and discouraging him. There's some amazing younger um, Bible books that, that aren't complete scripture, biblical principles. Okay. That they can read those and you talk about it and discuss it. But I would say this. Um, I don't think it would be... Um, improper if it's a children's storybook Bible to say this is your Bible, even though it's not the full holy Bible, to still get them used to this is your Bible. And for their age, it is what it is their scripture. It is what they're reading. That's what I would have made the bigger deal about for with Jesus and have them reading their own Bible sooner and have them praying sooner. We in our home raising them, um, I wanted to be more of the spiritual pastor of our family like each of you can is uh, and I think I took on too much of the sit and listen to me teach listen to daddy share the word I would have much rather now looking back had them on reading on their own okay with five though mm -hmm. realistically looking back do you think you would do that like let them take turns um great question 
we did some of that through family worship. We picked one night a week. And this is this is about it worked for about three years. Uh, when three years when we had better control of the home, uh, when the kids were all younger, and uh, we would do do some turn taking, but the older brothers kind of took over. And so I think I'd try to figure out a way for each of them to have their own Bible reading time, and and, and discuss that. Yeah, great questions. Um, the you could define your own win. You could pick whatever you think the win is. This is where I am right now with these older kids. Great questions. Um, so, yes, sir. I don't know. I think that worked for me because sometimes we try to make a, a plan for the three kids, for the four kids, the same. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't work. One, I have an example. Mia and Michael is totally different. Michael is super spiritual. Mia, no. So Mia is love to spend time with me in activities mm-hmm. than the church and I, I learned that me I learned more spiritual things when doing other things mm-hmm. yes 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 that's right so I think they work for me because in the beginning I think, let's go let's go we need to go to church because Michael is super spiritual so I think we need to watch the kids because everyone has a different way mm-hmm. to, to, to act that's exactly right so They see God's real. If there's a God who cares about He's real and He answers our prayer, that's a great way to do it. Yep. Super way to do it. Right, so I've got about four minutes, four or five minutes. I want to just, I want to close with this. There's some blanks on your page. Just want you to know, so Susan and I were dealing with a good amount of parent guilt, um, especially being on staff, especially having the title of family pastor. And um, so that you can imagine a double whammy with that. So we just had to sit down and take some time going through the, I mean, about over six months time, we've kind of now walking in a release and here, similar to what the Stimples did. And here's where we are. We just have five steps. This is on our refrigerator. Our boys can see it. It's just where we kind of live. It's a mantra. But number one, it's just to trust God. Um, we've learned that we're trying. To, we've learned to replace worry with prayer and just trust He can bring restoration. We use the verse Philippians four uh, six and seven for that one. Um, we're just trusting the Lord that, that God's got our boys. That God's got them. Um, that's number one. Number two, uh, we're working to listen more and um, listen to our sons. We want to remain close to them in a relationship. We were interested in what they have to say. We advise when asked. We're trying to fix less. Our older boys, our college boys, we're trying to interject less and just listen more. Ask good questions and listen. And when they ask us questions and they ask our advice, we're, we're jumping on on that. First John 5.14 is uh, something we've loved to, we, we, that we just kind of hold on to. Um, we're now to where we kind of only offer opinion when asked with our college boys. And hoping they'll ask, right? Hoping they'll ask. Um, the next one is live joyfully. Uh, Susan and I have chosen to live joyfully. You know, amidst some things that we're concerned about, we're going to live with joy. And we're going to be role models. We've talked a lot about that. It's more caught than taught, right? We're going to be role models of a close walk with the Lord and a blessed life and a strong marriage. We're going to keep that as a role model. Romans 15, 13. Um, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in you. Um, yeah, I will tell you, it's possible to live with joy in tough situations. It is possible to live with joy when you don't know the outcome. And um, we, the Lord's just been gracious to help us get there. And number four, quickly, relinquish control. This is a hard one for me. Um, 
But we can believe that God's working behind the scenes and let go of God playing God in their lives. So we've had to do that because, Lord, they are yours. You've got them. They've made some decisions, but they're your children. You've got them, and you, you love them more than I do. You know more about them than I do. You've got this. And we just lean on Romans 8, 28 for that. Um, and, and, you know, and there's a couple of Christian songs that are, that are near to me that, you know, when I sing these, I just, I just go to a different place. We're thinking about my boys. One's God's in this story by Katie Nicole. Have y'all heard this song, God is in this story? Oh my goodness. Um, and I'll sing it out loud. I'll say, I'll sing, I'll sing God is in Drew's story. God is in Jack's story. I, you know, I'll just say this, you know, God, you're in Gray's story. Amazing. Uh, Waymaker, have y'all heard this song, Waymaker? Um, you know, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. That's just something I just pray that as I sing it and say, God, I'm just trusting that you're working. I don't see what you're doing. I don't see anything happening. I don't feel anything happening with these two, but I know you're working. And I just, I just believe it. Uh, the last one, sideline cheerlead. And this is that deal where we just kind of want to come beside them and say, you know, we're going to be hope-filled encouragers of you in the choices, decisions in life that you make um, and just come alongside you. And we talked about this, remember, you know, as they get in these 13, the older they get, the less influence that I'm going to have on them. And so I realize I've gone from looking at them this way to just walk along beside of them. And we've just picked Luke uh, 54.13 for this, that, that we just trust all our sons will be taught of the Lord and the well-being of our sons will be great. Just trust in the Lord for that. And um, moving from command, you know, going away from commanding them to, to offering suggestions when they ask. All right, so let's shut it down. There's so much more. Y'all know how to reach me if you have more questions or thoughts or, or need resources, I'd be glad to do it. Let me share one more resource with you. Um, let me share one more thing with you quickly. Uh, so we're shutting down tonight. Next week, we'll be in a different room, a large room down the hallway. It's 2.56, it's, it's on the bottom of your paper. And we're, we've got a, a, other teachers, John and Sue DeMaris, are gonna walk us through the book called Cherish. This is for married, uh, marriage, it's fantastic. It'll run for the four Wednesday nights in April. So it's on the bottom of your paper. It's got the room where we are. Uh, cherish the four Wednesday nights in April. We're talking about marriage, and I'm excited and hope you'll be there. Last thing, um, if you're tonight and you're not in a life group, I just want to get an appeal to you. Please consider being a part of a life group. They meet on Sunday mornings. We have home groups to meet throughout the week. There's a Wednesday night life group that's meeting right now. Um, there is something special about the community that happens, the spiritual community, and just the fellowship and relationship that happens in a life group. Um, two of my great friends are here right now, and we're in a life group together. So, so thankful. I know, I know Mia's name um, because I get a chance to pray for these two every day and be a part of their lives. And that's what life groups do. We get to be a part of each other's lives. So if you're not part of one, please consider being part of a life group. I can help you with that if you need it. Um, would y'all stand with me? Would y'all stand up? And we'll, I'll pray us out and we'll take off. Father, thank you for each person who's here. And again, we thank you for the privilege you've given us of being parents. Lord, go before us. Lord, since you've given us kids, would you now please equip us, Lord, to honor you and how we parent the kids you've given us. Bless each person. I pray to walk out of here encouraged, God, knowing that you're in control and knowing what to do now uh, when the tough years come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.